0: Good morning church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pat Aldridge. I am currently the children's ministry pastor here at Redeemer Um, and that is probably freaking some of you out like how did the children's pastor get up on stage? Um, Well when Joe our lead pastor gets, needs some time off, um, they started going down the list of who's going to preach and Week three, here I am. So, you know, we went down that list pretty far. Everybody else was obviously booked. So, um, here we are. Um, Just an update, quick update on Joe. He popped in the office this week. He's doing much better. He's feeling much better. And he's looking very much forward to being back in the pulpits next week. Um, So, we can all look forward to that. So, I realized in preparing for this that... I've been doing children's ministry for a while, and I had to reorient myself to my audience here, um, realizing, like, I don't need to come up with some crazy activity for you all to do to get your energy out, Um, don't don't have to create a worksheet that will, you know, help reinforce this lesson, hopefully, although I was reminded after first service that because I'm used to teaching kids and I only have their attention for so long that I spoke really, really fast. So um, I'm gonna try not to do that here. But uh, it dawned on me last week during the members meeting that um, my tenure here is going to be up at the end of June. And so I've entered a month's a month worth of last times for everything. And so it is truly an honor to be up here um, bringing the word this morning. Um, And so that I take the opportunity and don't forget to later when I might not be uh, able to, um, just on behalf of my family and myself, we want to say thank you for all the love and support that we have um, been blessed with for years. Um, It's meant a lot. And so the gravity of this moment isn't lost on me as much as I would like it to be. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at two verses this morning. Our topic this morning is weariness and rest, and when you ask yourself the question, why would I be preaching on this this morning, um, one, Joe said I could preach on anything I want, so, um, but more importantly, I'm preaching on this topic because it's what God is teaching me. The main reason that I'm stepping out of my position as pastor and elder here is because I came, I finally came to the conclusion that I'm weary. And so started reading on the subject, started reading, and everybody says the same thing. You're weary because you don't know how to rest. And so um, that's why we're talking about what we're talking about this morning. So... Matthew chapter 11 starting at verse 28 hear the words of Jesus come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls this is God's word for us this morning let's pray Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we desire to hear from you personally, specifically. So God, meet us here this morning. May we be attentive to the leading of your spirit. And may we continue to grow in faithfulness and obedience. It's in your name that we pray, and for your glory. Amen. So if you grew up in church, or if you've been around church for any length of time, these verses are probably pretty familiar to you. We read them, and we say, wow, that's a great offer. And yet, we don't really experience that for ourselves. Not on a regular basis, at least. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why? The easiest explanation, at least for me and probably for most of you, is that we don't really rest well. There's some people in the room right now that see rest and downtime as wasting time and since time is so precious, we don't want to waste it. For others, you're so busy, when you do get a moment of downtime, you just don't know what to do with it. The sarcastic side of me says, get a hobby. Just do something else than what you normally do. Still others of us have been dealing with a level of stress and anxiety for so long that we don't actually know what to do without it. And all of this leaves us weary in some way. Some of us are physically weary, we're just tired, we're just exhausted. Some of us are mentally weary, right? We know we're not at our sharpest. We know we're not at our best, but don't know what to do about it. Others are emotionally weary. And when you spend enough time being emotionally weary, you get to the point where apathy sets in towards others. And still, others of us are spiritually weary. We know we should read our Bibles, we know we should pray but we also know that we're just going through the motions and becoming increasingly discontent with where life has us. We're weary for a couple of different reasons. Either we're overworked, we're working way too hard at our jobs or at relationships, or we're overstimulated with too much information and too much entertainment. And then there are a few of us who are just caffeine and or adrenaline junkies that we, we can't function without it, or so we think. All this weariness causes stress because life's not going the way we thought it would. And if stress is around long enough, it starts to cause strife, which is conflict due to um, our expectations not being met. And so what do we do? the natural inclination for all of us is to withdraw, right? Withdraw from people, withdraw from everything, including separating ourselves from God. We're exhausted, we're fatigued, and we're just trying to survive. And this is why we are are weary. But this isn't what Jesus calls us to in this passage. He calls us to the opposite of weariness. He calls us to rest, and yet our culture says busyness is best, right, when what we really need is just space to reflect, to be alone, to be nourished. We need rest, and what I'm not saying here is that we're not called to work and we're not called to recreation. But those two things have to be balanced with rest. Because when they're not, they become our purpose and or our identity. Work and recreation without rest is a deviation from the way God created things to work. He rested on the seventh day, not because he was weary, not because he was tired, but so that we would associate rest with his blessing. Jesus had to get away from the crowds and from his ministry responsibilities to be alone with his heavenly father. See, everything that we do is supposed to be done in partnership with God. And when it comes to rest, that's his invitation to us for some intimate fellowship with him. We work in partnership and we rest in his presence. When we don't find rest, what we're showing is we don't really believe And trust God. That is possible. So this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about rest. We're going to do this in four ways. Number one, we're going to look at what prevents rest. Number two, we're going to look at the invitation to rest. Number three, the exchange of rest. And number four, the promise of rest. And by the end, my hope is that you will agree with me. That... When we deal with our distractions, we find rest for our weariness. When we deal with our distractions, we find rest for our weariness. So what prevents us, number one, from finding our rest in God? It's the things that distract us. I'm defining distraction this morning as seeking satisfaction in other people, places, and things. You see, for most of us, we're either too busy and or too entertained to spend time with God. And when we spend too much time in either one of those areas, or the combination thereof, we get, we get this sense that we're being overwhelmed. And when we're overwhelmed, we spend too much time in our heads trying to figure out what to do. And too much time in our heads is exhausting. What we need is for God to reveal what we're thinking, right? Because if God reveals what we're thinking, we'll see where our priorities are. We also need God to reveal what we're wanting, to show us where our true desires are. We also need God to reveal what we're lacking. And this is what's most important. Because what we're going to find when we ask God to reveal those three things to us is that our priorities are out of whack. We've taken good things that God has blessed us with and made them ultimate things. And we've moved the ultimate thing so far down the priority list that we feel like we're stuck. Our distractions interrupt our focus on God. And if that's not bad enough, Then it does a couple more things to diminish our ability to know God, to meet with God, to love God, to treasure God, to enjoy God. Because we think when we come to church Sunday mornings that because we're in close proximity to God, that that equals intimacy, but that's not the way it works. And we'll learn more about that in a few minutes. Our distractions make intimacy impossible. It's, too shallow and too surfacey. Relationships can only flourish when our distractions are out of the way. Distractions groom us towards self-centeredness because we're spending way too much time thinking about us and not about others. Our distractions feed our discontentment by forgetting what's most important. Distractions rule an undisciplined heart, by making us overcommit and overwork. And our distractions do the one thing that would change everything for us. Our distractions make listening to God impossible. For those of you that have been in this church for a while, you know that Deuteronomy 6 is one of my favorite passages for a lot of reasons. I'm going to start reading at verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. If we're not listening, we're not hearing what God is saying, what God is reminding us of. Or even back in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is teaching and, he, and we get to verse 15 and we hear him say these words, which he repeats several times throughout the Gospels. He who has ears, let him hear. What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? But how do we know that, our, that distractions are bad? How do we know that being distracted is such, such a bad thing? Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 13, so flip a few pages. Jesus teaches the parable of the sower, right? The disciples don't get it, so he has to break it down for them. So I'm going to start reading in verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Satan snatches it away. You heard the message. You got distracted. The message was taken. Keep reading. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Tribulation and persecution are going to happen. But when we get distracted by that, the power of the word is taken away. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the, deceitful risk of, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. So, we have the cares of the world and the, deceitful risk, the deceitfulness of riches distracting us from being fruitful. Verse 23, as for what was sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Distractions steal the word away from us. And when we're not in the word regularly, we end up being, having a lack of focus and being unproductive. So it's safe to say that we're all distracted in some way. But let's look back at Matthew chapter 11 and see what Jesus says and see what he's actually offering. Point number two, an invitation to rest. Rest. Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus makes this invitation. He says, Come, right? Come to me and I will give you rest. It's not a command. It's not like me standing at my back door at 12:30 at night when the dogs are out in the backyard barking their little idiot heads off, and I'm standing at the door yelling at them to come in, right? It's not a command. Jesus is making an invitation. He's inviting us into the rest that he experiences because of his relationship with his heavenly father. I often wonder if my neighbors are more annoyed with my dogs barking or me yelling at my dogs about their barking, but we'll figure that out later. We have this invitation to come, and when we accept it, we find intimate fellowship with the God who created everything simply by speaking it into existence. We have intimate fellowship with our Savior who died to pay the penalty for our sins. We have intimate fellowship with the Spirit who is leading us and guiding us t- towards greater degrees of holiness but we also find relief, right? Jesus knows that we labor hard and that we are heavy laden. And he makes this invitation, okay? And we find relief in the fact that when we come to the realization that he isn't asking for our help, but he's offering his. What he's promising here is rest for the restless, And the rest that he offers is in the midst of everything, right smack dab in the middle of our everyday lives, our everyday struggles, our everyday pains, our ever-present temptations, and our never-ending, always-growing to-do lists. Jesus is offering us rest. But how do we know this rest is real? We know it's real because Jesus is real, because it's found in a person. It's not found in an activity or a lack of activity. Rest isn't simply the absence of activity, but it's the addition of relationship. This is what biblical rest looks like. We can find joy and rest when we run to Jesus instead of away from him, which is our natural inclination, when we trust him instead of ourselves when we stay close to him you see it's by reorienting ourselves back to him and away from wandering down our own path that we find rest jesus makes this great invitation and it sounds almost too good to be true our weariness for rest but what's the catch when we deal with our distractions we find rest for we find rest for our weariness So number three, there's an exchange that has to happen. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And automatically we're like, there it is. There's the bait and switch. Jesus promises rest, but now he's gonna demand something in return. He's gonna demand that we take his yoke, right? I knew very little about yokes in general. I mean, I knew what it was. It's a piece of wood that connects two animals so that they can plow the field more efficiently. What I did know, I did not know two things about yokes, and so I did a little research, and number one, I didn't know that the yoke had to be specifically made to two specific animals, because if it's not, there's a greater chance that an animal is going to pull a muscle and be less effective if it's not. So, Um, the other thing I learned about yokes is that the reins for the animals is only attached to one animal, not both. So that one's the lead and the other one follows. Um, that the yoke had to be specific. And for us, it's the same way. The yoke that Jesus is asking you to take is specific to you. It has, you have a specific purpose to fulfill. And while that sounds like we're adding work in reality, What's happening is God is providing for you what he's requiring of you. You see, his burden is going to lighten your burden because his yoke comes with the power to obey and the strength to obey. But if that's true, then why do we so often miss out on the rest? It's not because we have a yoke, it's because we've yoked ourselves to the wrong thing. We've yoked ourselves to our jobs. We've yoked ourselves to entertainment. We've yoked ourselves to information. But verse 30 here of Matthew chapter 11 reminds us of a couple things. Jesus is still talking. He says, "My yoke is easy and my burden is light." This is the opposite of where we, find, we typically find ourselves, right? Verse 28, we are heavy laden and, we, and our labor is hard. But if we exchange that for Jesus' yoke, we find rest. And it still sounds too good to be true. But think about it this way. You've tried it your way. And my question to you would be: How's that working out for you? What would you do? What would you lose by trying it Jesus' way? But what is this yoke that Jesus talks about? What, What is he? What is the expectation to walk with him? To learn from his character? to be nourished by his word, and to truly encounter him. And all those things take time. Not just time to ingest the information, but time to let that information soak in and to change you. But the result, if we take that yoke, if we take Jesus up on what he's offering, is that we find rest that comes from a life of surrender to him. And not fighting against him. But it can't be that easy, right? There must be something for us to do. But the blessing here is that this exchange comes with a promise. Because remember, when we deal with our distractions, we find rest for our weariness. Number four, the promise of rest. The end of verse 29 says, you will find rest for your souls. So within these two verses that we've been primarily focused on this morning, Jesus used the words rest twice. Any good Bible study curriculum will tell you if the Bible repeats itself in a relatively short period of time, that means that it's important. So Jesus offers this rest, but the promise is that we have to discover it. We have to to find it. Because here's what's going to happen when we take Jesus up on his offer. Three things are going to immediately happen. Number one, pride is going to be killed. Your pride is going to be killed because you no longer have to have all the answers and you can look to Jesus for guidance. But if we're going to look to Jesus for guidance, that's going to require us to be submissive to his leading. Number two, idols are going to be destroyed. Our idols are going to be destroyed because we don't have to do all the work. The work's already been done. We can lean on God's sufficiency, but if we're gonna lean on God's sufficiency, we have to trust in his authority, which is hard for most of us to do. And then number three, anxiety is gonna be silenced. Our anxieties are silenced when we realize we don't have to be perfect anymore, that we can wait on God for the results. But if we're gonna wait on God for the results, we have to give up control. So how do we take hold of this offer, right? How do we take hold of this promise? In a word, intentionality. The kind of intentionality that is willing to lay down the things that distract us from Jesus. When we deal with our distractions, we find rest for our weariness. Our distractions, I would argue, are the biggest thing that keep us from encountering Jesus and taking him up on what he he offers. It's our distractions that lure us away from him and at the end of the day not trust what Jesus invites us to. Not trust that rest is possible. But we have an we have the opportunity to end our weariness by simply trusting Jesus. So how is this going to work? How do we know this is true? As I was reflecting on that question, I was reminded of Psalm 46, not Psalm 43, which I said in the first service and confused a lot of people. So Psalm 46, I'm going to read all 11 verses. This is what happens when you let the dyslexic kid read numbers. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose stream is made glad, the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now hear the words that God is saying, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is how we know we can believe this, that God is our refuge, our strength. He protects, he strengthens. A very present help in trouble. He is with us. The the chapter says twice. And then in the midst of the chaos going around us in the world, we can be glad. We have nothing to fear. If we believe that we can be still and that we can know God. So as we reflect on this psalm, we have to ask ourselves, do we believe this? Are we willing to make the changes necessary to find the rest that God is promising? What are your distractions really accomplishing? So as I wrap up this morning, I have six ways to fight distractions and find rest. Here's where I went too fast, so I'm gonna try to slow down. Number one, be attentive. Be attentive to the essential things not just the good things. The good things have their place. Keep the essential things essential. Keep Jesus at the center of everything that you do. Number two, examine your habits. Realize that what you do is doing something to you. Number three, realign your priorities. Be willing to set up new habits that refocus your attention on Jesus. Number four, practice listening. Practice listening to God's word. Because God's word must occupy a more significant portion of your information diet than it currently does. Whatever, wherever you're starting at, if you're starting at zero. Read your Bible for five minutes this week. That's a win. If you're in your Bible every day for two hours, increase it. Be growing in God. Practice meditation, letting the word sink in and and applying it to your heart. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does, give Him time. Number five. Set boundaries, be willing to say no, or at the very least, be willing to say not right now. Because it's easy for us to overcommit and to spread ourselves too thin. Number six, be intentional with your spiritual disciplines. Okay, be intentional with your time in the word, be intentional with prayer, be intentional with fellowship, be intentional with worship. Because it's these disciplines that are going to overcome distractions, but only if we're intentional with their use. We can't just open our Bible and read it, pray a quick prayer, check the box, and think we're good. It's discipline that will slow you down long enough for your soul to sink into Jesus. And this intentionality looks like putting on the new self. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll start reading in verse 22. Put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to grow in righteousness. And holiness. And this is what Jesus wants to teach us. This is the work that he has for us all to do. When we deal with our distractions, we find rest for our weariness. So the bottom line here is that our own efforts and distractions leave us doubting and depleted. But what Jesus is offering us is refreshment and renewal. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we so need rest. God, we know that Jesus is better, but we need that reminder. We need you to make our hearts believe. God, remind us how great you are. Remind us how faithful you are. Remind us how good you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and for his glory. Amen.